Welcome to Third Fridays. This is a debut podcast from this mastermind right here. So if anything else goes wrong, forget I said this, forget this ever happened. Third Fridays is a term of art in New York workers' compensation defense. Basically, it is the only day of the month in which no hearings or trials are scheduled throughout the entire state. So on everybody else's day off, I'm working for you. Today, I got a special guest. His name is Declan Gorley. We work together at Lois LLC, and we actually went to law school. So for three solid years, we didn't hate each other enough that we felt like working together would be a good idea. Yeah, that was a long time ago. All right. Don't, don't listen to what Declan says. We'll get on with it. The word of the day is opioids, Declan, and the board has some new developments, uh, including a recent board panel decision that has highlighted what we can do to close these types of cases more efficiently. It's a subject number that allows self-insureds, carriers, and employers to request a hearing for a specific purpose related to opioids. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So basically last month the board uh, implemented and they announced a new board uh, bulletin that basically says if the carrier wants to get an IME or a peer review and the IME or peer review says that the claimant uh, should be weaned off their medication or the medication should, should be stopped, that the carrier can submit that evidence to the board with an RFA, the request for hearing, and basically put it on the expedited hearing process to litigate the issue. Um, it basically tells us that once we file the RFA, the claimant then has to, or attorney should then uh, put in to get depositions done of our IME or peer review, and then it gets set down for a hearing. Okay, so you mentioned the claimant's attorney there. Uh, <clears throat> be that guy just for this second, for this podcast, and don't be that guy ever again because we don't want you to go to the other side. What is the claimant's attorney doing differently, if anything, with this subject number? Uh, besides fielding calls from treating doctors who are probably worried about what this means, I don't think that this will change anything that they do for a claimant um, until they actually get the RFA that says that the carrier is trying to either suspend or wean them off the medication. So on a regular day-to-day basis, I don't think this affects how a claimant's attorney handles the case. So are you saying that on a regular day-to-day basis they're not doing anything? That's not what I'm saying. I don't think this will change how they handle the case. <laughs> okay. All jokes aside, back to the RFA too, right? So if it's not going to change what they're doing on the day-to-day until they get that RFA too, let's talk about the other side, our side, the good side, right? We're getting an IME or records review that's hopefully saying that the opioid dosage is too high and that the weaning process should begin, right? So when we're doing that, what kind of timeline are we under, if anything? Are we, do we have to do it within a certain period of time? How many years does the claimant have to be on medication for this to even go through? There's no timeline. As, as soon as we get an IME or a peer review that says that we should start a weaning process is when we can first request that the board address this. So until we get that medical evidence that says the claimant's medication should be reduced or suspended completely, we really don't have to do anything. There's no need to do anything. Okay. So it helps us in this litigation process, gets us to that point of closure. A lot of our clients have had problems with these types of cases, though, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with these MSAs that are reaching six figures, seven figures. And that's based on the fact that these opioids, brand name opioids, have been used at dosage levels that may even increase, not even just stay the same. And you create a life expectancy for a young claimant 
and project future costs that are so astronomical that it just is not in the defense benefit to actually settle these cases. So do you think that this subject number can actually help this problem? Um, well, obviously we know about the public policy issue. There's a significant crisis right now in America, not just in New York, with opioids and narcotic medications. But uh, So I think that this can, one, hopefully help claimants get them off these medications that they should be weaned off of. These aren't supposed to be for long-term use. Two, it obviously is supposed to help carrier employers' uh, bottom line. These are, as you said, medications that people are on for years. Some, there's cases we have where people are on opioids for 20-plus years. That's a significant cost. Um, and if we're projecting out costs for the Medicare set-aside, they're basically taking a 40- or 50-year-old person and assuming that they're going to take the same medication for the next 20, 30, 40 years of their life. That's a significant cost that we're hoping to be able to reduce or uh, end completely. I think you brought up a good point, Declan, actually, because this isn't a good thing for everyone. And what I mean by that is the continued use of opioids, right? Because if a, if a defense side does not want to settle because the MSA cost is too high, the claimant likewise does not want, you know, big brother looking over him or her, finding out what opioids are, are, are prescribed and accepted, which ones are denied, are the non-acute pain treatment guidelines being followed. Those cases have to stay open just due to the high cost alone. I think that you're heading down this good track where this particular process can help efficiency uh, be a big part of closing the case. But we're going to move on to our next segment of the podcast, and it's called Guess the Outcome. Now, board panel decisions, appellate division cases come out very frequently, and typically we have to change our way of doing things because of those cases. Now, there's a board panel decision that was just filed November 1st in the matter of New York City Housing Authority. So what I'm going to do, Declan, is give you a fact pattern, and you're going to try and guess how the board panel ruled on that issue. Think you're up for it? Sure. Try me. Okay. So what we have here is a claimant who had been on opioids for a long amount of time, and it's the same dosage level. He had two pain management doctors who had been treating him, providing the same dosage consistently. One of the doctors actually didn't even examine him, just kept filling out the scripts. Obviously, the cost of this got high, and the carrier, or self-insured, procured a records review doctor to assess whether or not a weaning program would be necessary. The records review doctor agreed that the person should be taken off, and it went to trial. Depositions were taken, and the judge ruled in favor of the claimant's doctor, finding them to be more credible. The carrier then appealed, and the case was before the board panel, again, decided November 1st. How do you think the board panel would have ruled? And if you don't know, maybe the typical case. How would the board panel would rule in that typical case? Uh, based on the facts you just presented me with, I would say most of the time the board panel will find in favor of what the they'll just affirm the decision by the judge. It sounds like it was a credible, credibility determination. The judge will find that the treating doctors are more credible, which it sounds like they did in this case, and the board will just affirm it, basically rubber stamp the judge's prior decision. I think I would actually agree with you based on that reasoning, right? Because credibility <clears throat> findings are not going to be disturbed on appeal unless there's substantial evidence to get rid of the ruling, right? In this case, however, the board panel surprised us and actually found for the good guys, right? There was no functional improvement in the claimant's ongoing treatment. And according to the non-acute pain treatment guidelines, that has got to be documented 
consistently in order to have that dosage continued. So the board panel had actually ruled on this prior to the subject number by the board was even released. So what do we think about that decision in relation to the subject number? Does the subject number help this type of decision? Is it in contravention? What are your thoughts on that? No, because since 2014, we've had the non-acute medical treatment guidelines basically that gave us what doctors should be doing and what the law judges and the board should be doing. But for a long period of time, we've had really no process to implement those guidelines. We would go to hearings after requesting one, and judges wouldn't, like, either they wouldn't address the issue or basically things would just stay status quo. Um, this basically is forcing both parties to do something. Once we have an IME or a peer review saying medication usually should be weaned or suspended completely, then the treating doctor has to, or the claimants will then cross-examine that doctor, and the claimants' doctors should be submitting basically med medical documentation that meets the standards of the medical treatment guidelines to substantiate why they're continuing to give this person medication, whether it's a year or two, or like the case we are talking about earlier, 20 plus years later, same medication or in fact increasing. I think it's an interesting point because having the judges more up to speed, possibly or impliedly, brings about the option that these types of cases will get a more specific assignment. Maybe there's a separate part just for non-acute pain treatment guidelines, just for opioids, have a judge that is well-versed in this kind of, uh, these kinds of issues and deal directly with that as opposed to just throwing it on a judge's calendar who hasn't had time to review the specifics of the case. Do you think that's a possibility? Can we get a more efficient resolution of those cases based on that? I think that's what the board's purpose of this is. Well, I guess we'll see you know, maybe six months to a year from now whether that actually works. Um, I think now judges see these cases, and like I said, they really don't really truly address them. This will force, I think, judges when they, the calendars are full of weaning requests or suspension requests, that this is going to force judges to actually know the law, know the guidelines, and uh, review both depositions and summation briefs. Now, you mentioned six months from now. Are you committing <laughs> to a special guest appearance in six months? Sure. Oh, look at that. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for today. This is Third Fridays. My name is Christian Cison, and reminding you to defend from day one.